Want to do better? Then it's time to change the story. Welcome to our show about new visions currently transforming the world through the confluence of art, tech, and innovation. And now your hosts, Michael Ashley and Neil Sahota. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode. Our guest today is retired Senator Joe Dunn. He is the uh, chairman of the board of the nonprofit called Zero Abuse Project that helps uh, protect kids against childhood sexual abuse, as well as a special advisor to the dean of the UC Irvine Law School. So let's welcome Joe to the show. Uh, thank you, Neil. Much appreciated. Glad to be here. Thank you for being here, Senator Joe. Uh, my question to you is, as a visionary, what is the story that you want to bring to the world? Uh, it's a great question, Michael. Uh, uh, the reason that the Zero Abuse Project was set up several years ago was to fundamentally change the status quo of child sexual exploitation in all of its form from occurring in society. There's many great organizations that have been working on this issue for decades, but sadly, the incidence of childhood sexual exploitation uh, increases every single year. Uh, we felt it was time to start a, a new organization uh, that's a complement to the existing organizations already out there, but takes creative and vastly different approaches to dealing with this tragic societal problem and actually eliminating childhood sexual exploitation going forward. When you say creative approaches, what, what do you mean by that exactly? Um, we felt that, that what the overall movement uh, to eliminate childhood sexual exploitation in society was missing was to bring some top talent in areas that hadn't previously been considered for dealing with child, uh, childhood sexual exploitation, except in the case of law enforcement at a, at a very sophisticated level, like the FBI, for example. But they're only going to go after very... Um, uh, the most serious cases involving the most serious abuse, oftentimes on a national, if not international basis. Mm -hmm. It leaves a lot of the exploitation, sexual exploitation of children unaddressed. Um, and so uh, large um, law enforcement organizations like the FBI are oftentimes using technology to go at existing problems in society. We felt it was time to take creative approaches like the intersection between technology, emerging technology and childhood sexual exploitation and see if we can uh, take advantage of that intersection and apply new tools to the prevention of the abuse uh, from occurring in the first place. A lot of great organizations serve the survivors of childhood sexual abuse very well and have been doing it for decades. How do we really get at preventing it from occurring in the first place? So uh, one of the ways we've done that is to access uh, technological advances, uh, particularly artificial intelligence. Uh, and that's one example of how we've taken a, a, what we feel is a vastly different approach to dealing with childhood sexual abuse outside of the traditional law enforcement context. Look, I, I've heard some of the stories and they're just absolutely horrifying. And I, it just boggles my mind that someone would do this to a child. I mean, the work you're doing, Senator Dunn, is obviously fantastic and unfortunately much needed. I mean, how, how are you actually going about this? I mean, how are you able to leverage technology? I mean, I, I would have thought that the first thing to think of would be helping survivors. 
Yeah, um, and while the zero abuse does uh, have a number of great programs that serve the survivors uh, to assist them uh, in dealing with the uh, abuse or exploitation that occurred, which, which is a lifelong management thing. It's not a matter of, okay, I've dealt with it, it's behind me, you know, it, this um, abuse no longer affects my life. That's never the situation, sadly. Um, and it's not like somebody is a, a broken arm. The damage that's done by childhood sexual abuse uh, is very internal, not just emotional. There's physical harm as well, but uh, it, it's, a, it's a lifelong management process. Um, so we do those great programs as do other organizations. But what we thought is, as we looked at the universe of childhood sexual exploitation, there are obviously many players, sadly, that give rise to it. Of course, most notoriously, the predators themselves. Top of the list, nobody questions them. But unfortunately, there are other players in society that, not that they intentionally want to see it occur, but through their own actions, give a platform for abuse to occur. And I'm referring specifically uh, when it came to our first technology project, large institutions whose mission in part is to connect adults with children, religious, sports, education, um, that within those large institutions, when sexual abuse of a child occurs, institutional response is almost always the same. Cover up, cover up, cover up, cover up, hide, 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 hope nobody figures it out. Uh, let's get past legal statute limitations, criminal and civil, criminal and civil. Uh, and then whew, we, we've escaped. They may turn over the predators eventually to law enforcement, but oftentimes the abuse was long ago and the criminal statute limitation has expired against the predator. So we felt maybe one of the places that technology may assist, uh, that no one's ever tried before that we know of, is can we develop a technological tool that can uncover the cover-ups within institutions? So that was the premise we started on. And then ultimately we decided uh, through some great experts uh, to um, look at artificial intelligence as a way of looking at an institution through a large database and determine if there's patterns that are externally observable uh, that might indicate that there's sexual abuse inside of that institution and it's being covered up. That was the first priority project we we decided to go after through the use of technology. Sorry, you're in a sense you're building like a corruption detector. Uh, in many respects, it is um, because it's interesting. Um, the the platform, the AI platform we're building and and near completion on now, a little bit a uh, uh, bit to go, but near completion after a uh, year and a half, two years uh, along the way. It's not focused on the predator, and it's not focused on the children who were sexually abused by those predators. It's focused exclusively on the behavioral patterns of the institution. Um, now, each institution is different, but there are some similarities to how institutions hide sexual predators of children inside the institution. If it's a small local organization, say a nonprofit in a small community, not a lot of options to hide predator under those circumstances. Uh, but in large institutions that are spread regionally, nationally, in sometimes case internationally, they've got maximum flexibility to take a predator out of one community and hide them in another community, all under the umbrella of the same institution. So 
uh, many of us who have been dealing with this challenge in society for decades, for me over 35 years in a variety of different roles I've had professionally, um, if we can find a way to uncover the cover-up of institutions, that deprives a predator from the platform by which they safely, they feel safely access children and groom them for sexual exploitation. Um, and if we can take away those um, uh, platforms for predators to engage in, of course, predatory behavior, uh, the likely incidence of childhood sexual abuse will decrease dramatically. Not because we've decreased the number of predators, sadly. It's just their opportunity to abuse has been re uh, uh, diminished dramatically. Uh, not a cure-all, but let's get institutions out of the game of covering up these predators. Um, and right now, we have to change the status quo. So the risk calculation of a large institution is... It's more risky for us to hide the predators now than it was previously. Uh, and that's really the premise that we've been after with this platform, to, to use uh, the phrase of one of our top strategists. We're changing the risk calculation of large institutions on this issue through the use of artificial intelligence. Because a big part of the show is about putting forth visions and because what you're talking about is affecting real systemic change. It's not about putting a bandaid on something. It's about going at it at its source. I wondered if you could talk to us about the idea. Let me back up and say what my understanding about abuse is that if you per perpetuate it, it just goes on and on, right? One person's abused and then it spreads and it, it goes on and, and it's insidious in that way. So I wonder if you could give us a vision now. Let's imagine. It's several years from now, your, works are, your work is very successful. What does that look like when we begin to end the cycle? What is that positive vision years from now as we begin to change this story? Uh, our vision, uh, Michael, is, is very simple and very clear. Although, as everyone would agree, it's daunting. But mm -hmm. that's okay. We'll take the challenge. It, it's to, in the, uh, and as nearer term as possible, is to reach a point where the sexual exploitation of children never occurs again. And I understand that uh, most observer would say, well, that's a lofty goal. And the answer is, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, and we're willing to embrace it uh, because frankly, that's the only acceptable goal. Uh, can you imagine an organization that says, well, we just want a little bit less of sexual abuse of children? No, right, there's right. never, a, a time that it is right or appropriate to sexually abuse a child. I don't care what the excuse is, and there are many. Uh, if you ever do a lot of interviews of predators, sexual predators of children, the excuses they give for their behavior um, are stunning. And they frankly are convinced that they're right. They're sociopaths. They're not lying to you. They've convinced themselves. It was good for me to do that to that child. Um, addressing how to, quote, fix a predator. Many institutions uh, have worked on this. Uh, they've tried many options over the last 100 years, uh, some very extreme. Um, but the one thing about a sexual predator of children, the act against the child is not driven by sexual impulse. It's driven by control. Um, it's just acted out in, in a bizarre sexual uh, manner. Uh, how do you fix that? How do you identify a predator and fix them? The answer for society globally, no one has figured out a fix. 
when they have access to children, they will sexually abuse children. It's as simple as that. Most of the predators, interestingly enough, Michael, inside of large institutions, uh, depending upon the institutions, I won't name any right now, but um, oftentimes they have uh, done examination of how many children have been abused by one given predator. Before most of the predators are taken away from any access to children, at least in the U.S., uh, on average, they've abused uh, over 50 to 75 children before they're removed from any access to children. Uh, those You can start adding up the numbers, and it's pretty dramatic. Given that, the extent of that, uh, we felt there was only one mission for the Zero Abuse Project, and that is a world with no sexual exploitation of children under any set of circumstances. Hopefully one day we'll get there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's very disheartening, right? It's very disheartening, but I'm glad that Zero Abuse Project has lofty goals and like the elimination. I mean, trying to do all these things, what are the challenges you guys are actually facing? That is a, a tremendous question, Neil. Um, and, and as you know uh, yourself, because you've been exposed to much of the work of zero abuse over the last few years, um, one of our challenges in dealing within, let's just say here in the United States, this challenge, and we understand why, but the average person on the street, um, this is such a horrific, um, uh, well, it, it is criminal behavior, obviously, but it is such a horrific act that the average person, and we get why, just doesn't want to think about it. They know it exists, but to think about it, to think about the act, that that, that act that that adult would do to that child, for all of us, it's just easier just to not even wrap our heads around it and just... I hope somebody else will take care of that. I know it exists. I just can't deal with it. Um, some of the survivors refer to this as the ick factor. Um, it's tough to solve the problem when most of the folks that you would need to rely on en masse to demand change, say, from elected officials, just are uncomfortable even thinking about this issue, let alone advocating to, to solve it in society. So. We know that our long-term fight, Neil, requires us to get the issue out in the center stage of society's uh, uh, attention. Um, because without that, as long as most put it off in the dark shadows of society, uh, we're not gonna get the policymakers to do what needs to be done to really root it out. Um, and so we're starting to lay the groundwork for a national plan to have childhood sexual exploitation declared by Congress to be a national health crisis. There's legal magic to that phrase. Um, there have been other instances where other societal challenges have gotten that label and then received billions in federal funding for research and all kinds of issues to cure it. That's how we finally started to get ahead of the AIDS crisis in the 1980. It was declared a national health crisis. Uh, teenage pregnancy in the early 2000s was declared that. And oftentimes that's the turning point on a challenge in society. We believe that because of the extensive nature of this problem in society, four and 10 boys are sexually abused before the age of 16, uh, almost five and 10 uh, to six and 10 girls in the US. And those numbers are striking. Uh, we all wanna say that can't be true. 
but that's been studied over and over again. And so to get to the um, bottom of why this is occurring, why predators do this and why institutions cover it up and everybody turns a blind eye, it's gonna require that kind of collective resources and talent to really end it. Um, so that's one of our plans. And the, one of the challenges to answer your question, Neil, is how do we get over the understandable reluctance of the average person on the street to just not want to get their head around this problem because of the horrific nature of these acts. Um, I'm, I'm a parent of two little boys. And so it, it is even very hard for me to go there and even contemplate thinking about this. I can imagine, I, I haven't heard that term in terms of uh, the ick factor, but I very much understand it. it's very hard to put your mind there to even imagine um, disturbing and, and, and ruining such innocence. Is there a way, because um, we've been talking about getting to a systemic uh, change, is there a way to create a better environment, uh, our day-to-day -day environment, one in which still compassionate, but we have awareness about this, where more people can be more aware, more people can be proactive, not that we're pointing fingers at anybody, but make a, a healthier climate. So one, we can prevent this, but also one where we can talk about this in a way that, that moves it forward, um, especially to your point that people are reluctant to talk about this. Yeah, Michael, I think your generation of, par of parents are the first ones, at least in my view, having watched several generations of parents uh, deal with this issue. Uh, because as you can imagine, any parent who discovers that their child was sexually abused by someone in a position of trust, whether a family member, a <clears throat> priest, a coach, a teacher, um, uh, in addition to, and of course, first priority, care for my child that's had this happen to him or her, it's the feeling of failure as a parent. Yeah. That issue is also very difficult for parents to grapple with in a prevention mode versus uh, obviously dealing with the aftermath. So it's your generation of parents, the ones with very small kids today, that are more open and willing to embrace this uh, for prevention purposes, uh, to ensure that within our K-12 school system, there are acceptable teaching methods to children, no matter how young, about inappropriate behavior by adults mm -hmm. and what to do when it happens. Um, now, again, most of these predators are sociopaths, so they know how to separate a child from their parents and gain trust of the parents so that they can start to abuse without anybody noticing, so to speak. Well, those um, sociopathic behavioral patterns also need to be taught through, say, parent-teacher organizations, other community groups that have access to young parents, not only to ensure that our child is educated appropriately, we're not going to get into uh, you know, very detailed sexual abuse discussions with a six-year-old, obviously, but there are certain things mm -hmm. that can be taught at every level to make sure that child knows that anything that doesn't seem right probably isn't right and what you need to do about it, but also the parents. To know about the signs if your child is abused, um, oftentimes parents will miss it when say a, a boy at 12, 13 years old as he's transitioned to a child to a teenager and all that awkwardness starts to come in. They start to turn into themselves and all the stuff that young teenage boys do. Uh, oftentimes that can be the result of being sexually abused by say a coach or a teacher in you know seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th grade that all of a sudden they clam up 
grades drop, things of that sort. Uh, so our, there are things to watch with respect to the children that your generation is more open to than any other generation. Literally 10 years ago, when we tried to get programs out to PT organization, PTA organizations, there was tremendous resistance. Parents did not want anybody talking about this issue. It was the ick factor. Um, the other issue that still isn't done much um, is, is being able to pick up the subtleties of a sociopathic predator who is grooming a child. There are tried and true methods by these predators that some in academia have studied for years that there are some outward signs. We know, Michael, that today, if any, let's say a local parish priest or a local teacher said, hey, Michael, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, yeah, I love your boy. Uh, uh, why don't we give you and your wife a chance to have a nice weekend alone? I want to take your boy camping. Well, back in the 60s, that didn't seem unusual. Today, of course, you go, what? That ain't happening. So you can see we've progressed already. Well, unfortunately, the sociopathic predators have just improved uh, uh, and sharpened their skills at trying to separate that child from his or her parents. Um, and these are the behavioral pattern from an education side we need to get into uh, the hands of young parents to begin to watch it. But all of this is having a positive effect, Michael, I will tell you. We've been advocating for legislative change on many different fronts in this space for decades. Mostly, we've lost uh, until recently. Uh, in the last couple of years, we've had some tremendous victories through the advocacy efforts for zero abuse, as well as other organizations. Uh, but a lot of it was a combination of factors in society. Young parents being more willing to embrace, embrace this challenge and protect their child as much as possible. But also the Me Too movement set a stage for us to have no Me Too arose out of adults sexually harassing and abusing another adult. But that set the stage where more in society are ready to um, now pull this uh, issue of childhood sexual exploitation out of the shadows of society and plant it right there in center stage. Last comment on this, Michael. When the AIDS crisis hit, one of the reasons that that issue got pulled from the shadows of society to center stage, as it needed to be, was through uh, the entertainment industry. Singers, actors, et cetera, all came forward and said, we need to deal with this. It, and it became okay for Main Street America to talk about the issue at that point in time. Um, the same needs to happen here because those entertainment industries have such a megaphone in society uh, for the right players in each of the entertainment segments who have an international following to adopt this issue as their issue would be a huge, huge um, step forward in bringing this issue center stage so we can honestly and appropriately deal with it. Um, that's not an easy task. Uh, it's one thing for an actor to say, I'm going to be, you know, the the uh, American Cancer Society spokesperson. Right. Um, who who disagrees with solving cancer? No disrespect intended. Right. Which is that? Which one of those voices are the ones that want to say, "I'm going to be the one to put my credibility on the issue of child and sexual exploitation"? It's a tough ask. Absolutely, uh, it's got to be incredibly difficult. I, I love the analogy to the Me Too movement. I I would guess that as a survivor, though even as an adult, it's gonna be incredibly difficult and probably takes a lot of courage to talk about. How do you get enough of these people to kind of step out and share their stories to kind of trigger this wave? Yeah, 
Yeah, Neil, you're absolutely right, is creating a stage where a survivor who has quietly suffered in, in many times for years and years and years to step forward and feel safe doing so, that is its own, own challenge. A little easier now than it was back in the 60s and 70s, of course, but it's still a challenge. Uh, and if we accept the numbers that I cited before about four and 10 and six and 10, um, then the number of survivors just here in the United States of all, every type of sexual exploitation of children, it's massive. Uh, and many have stepped forward more and more each year, thank goodness, um, but it's still a fraction of the total number, sadly. Well, it's our hope that uh, programs like this and, and getting, you, getting you guys out here will definitely help change that. And it's our hope that this does provide needed awareness for your organization and the great work that you're doing. Uh, for people that do want to contribute, they want to help, how can they get in touch with you? How can they learn more? Uh, great question. And I'm happy to talk to anybody that's interested in joining this. Uh, we now really call it a movement uh, to protect the children because that's what it's all about. Really simple. Nothing, mm -hmm. nothing complex about our goal. Right. We want to protect the children. And as long as there's these predators still out there, then children are at risk. But um, you can get more information on the zero abuse through our website. Uh, you can also contact me directly, which I'll provide to you and Neil, and you can post uh, uh, for the program. And uh, happy for anyone, whether it be survivor or advocates or others just interested in, in joining the, this fight, uh, we welcome you aboard. Well, that, that's awesome. I think this is a fantastic movement. So we'll make sure to post that contact information in the show notes. So Senator Dunn, thank you so much. I mean, this has been uh, illuminating and unfortunately very sad, but this is one of those things where we definitely need to change the story. So thank you. Yes, thank uh, you very it, much. Uh, it's my honor, uh, Neil and Michael, and uh, uh, it, it is a tragic one. And it's now time that we collectively say enough. Agreed. Thank you again. You're welcome. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you.